Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer, co-host of the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is lead co-host Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guest is Atul Devdar, MD, professor of medicine and medical director of rheumatology clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Devdar is board certified in internal medicine and rheumatology and is a fellow of the American College of Rheumatology and the American College of Physicians. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Dr. Devdar, welcome to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. Thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to get you on. It's an area uh, we haven't explored much, but obviously this whole area of rheumatology and what we're going to get into over the next two shows is really fascinating. Why don't we start by you giving us an introduction and uh, background to your current work as well? So I'm a professor of medicine and I'm the director of the rheumatology clinics at Oregon Health and Science University uh, in Portland, Oregon. And my research interest is psoriatic arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis. And several years ago, about uh, 14, 15 years ago, I started a combined clinic with dermatology for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Uh, We call it CEPA, C-E-P-P-A, Center of Excellence for Psoriasis, Psoriatic Arthritis. And um, it is very important in the field of psoriatic arthritis, especially uh, to have a... um, coherent approach for the treatment with dermatologists and rheumatologists predominantly involved. Uh, But as we will speak, uh, as I will speak in uh, in our discussion today, there are several other specialists which are required to take care of the patient with psoriatic arthritis because psoriatic arthritis uh, patients have problems with metabolic syndrome. They have got increased prevalence of diabetes, heart disease, uh, ischemic heart disease, uh, reduced mort. uh, longevity, et cetera, et cetera, uh, increased problems with depression. So it's a multimodal approach, and our clinic um, kind of tries to provide that. And uh, I have uh, used that in also participating in various research trials on psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and we'll discuss some of these uh, which were presented recently at the American College of uh, Rheumatology. But that's my background. Fantastic. And so I know recently you were at the American College of Rheumatology, the ACR Convergence 21 conference last fall. What were some of the key issues and important areas discussed there this year? Yeah, so American College of Rheumatology um, annual meeting is a huge big meeting. There are about 16,000, 17,000 attendees. This was, I'm talking about pre-pandemic times when people would physically attend. This is uh, one of the, if not the, biggest conference in the world and uh, about 50% of the attendees are from US and 50% are in fact from outside of US and the entire area of rheumatology is covered so from inflammatory arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, they also cover lupus and gout and they cover osteoarthritis and fibromyalgia and the uh, another interesting aspect of the American College of Rheumatology meeting is it's not just for rheumatologists and doctors. It's for nurse practitioners, physical therapists, occupational therapists, uh, nurse practitioners, etc. And it's an excellent place where you can exchange. Uh, it's a give and take uh, between various specialties, uh, sorry, between 
various um, uh, parts of the rheumatology, the various uh, providers within rheumatology. Uh, this year uh, was uh, completely, uh, the meeting was, well, I should say last year, 2021, the meeting was totally uh, virtual. Um, it was called ACR Convergence, a virtual meeting, and I don't exactly know how many people attended. However, the areas that were covered were, again, the, the length and breadth and depth of rheumatology. Everything was covered. And my interest being in psoriatic arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis, I attended most of those sessions because I was also presenting. But I did actually look into other interesting areas where this field of rheumatology and new management options is expanding exponentially. So what are some of the um, impacts associated with psoriatic arthritis as we look at that from the U.S. point of view? Yeah, great question. So the prevalence of psoriasis skin condition in the United States is 3%. 3% of the U.S. population has skin psoriasis. And several studies, including the one at my center, has shown that the prevalence of psoriatic arthritis in patients with skin psoriasis is 30%. So if you apply that nationally, that will tell you that at least 1% of the U.S. population has psoriatic arthritis. This is a significant inflammatory arthritis, which can lead to structural damage to the joints. Um, as I said earlier, this can affect uh, even longevity of this patient. There is something about this disease that these people have more obesity, diabetes, uh, hypertension, hyperlipidemia and ischemic heart disease and stroke and significant depression. And interestingly, there are various domains that we have discussed, uh, that we have discovered, I should say, within rheumatology, even in the musculoskeletal system, the disease affects peripheral joints, it affects enthesis, which means where the tendons and ligaments insert into the bone. Of course, it affects the skin and the nails. And now we are actually concentrating on an area which has been neglected all these years, and that is involvement of the axial skeleton or the spine. And we call this axial PSA, axial psoriatic arthritis. This part of psoriatic arthritis has generally been neglected over the years. And most of the studies that have been done, clinical trials and patients coming to see us, we generally concentrate on their peripheral arthritis, peripheral aches and pains, and um, their enthesitis. Um, like heel pain and plantar fasciitis, etc. Uh, there was a lot of uh, interest in the current ACR meeting, and I would say in this field, in the last year, on the the domain of psoriatic arthritis, which is the axial involvement, axial PSA. And when employers and others or payers start looking at this issue, what are some of the key things that they need to sort of consider or that they should be looking at? Obviously, if you're talking about 1% of the population, it's fairly substantial. I would assume given, you know, the various treatment approaches that it's, it's fairly expensive in some cases. So what are some of the points around that in terms of treating this? Yeah, um, the axial, it's interesting because some of the drugs that we use in uh, psoriatic arthritis and almost always the pairs would ask us to use the um, conventional synthetic DMARDs like sulfasalazine, like methotrexate, like leflunamide. Uh, and they would say that unless you use this, we are not allow, going to allow you to use biologics. And the biggest problem is, Fred, is that these drugs, the conventional synthetic DMARDs, none of them, none of them work on the axial skeleton. Methotrexate, zero effect on axial skeleton. 
sulfasalazine, no effect. Lafilunamide, no effect. It is very difficult for a clinician like me to treat my patient with psoriatic arthritis with these drugs when they have axial skeletal involvement. And interestingly, at the start of the disease, when they start their symptoms, maybe only about 5% of the patients have axial involvement. But as the time goes by, uh, it has been shown that over 20 years, 70% of the patients with psoriatic arthritis can have involvement of their axial skeleton. This is extraordinarily important from population health perspective. And it is very important for the payers to understand that we are not just treating their, oh, my knee is swollen. Oh, well, why don't you give them methotrexate? Yeah, but they also have back pain. They also have axial involvement. And that's a major cause of their pain and fatigue and disability. And we need to treat that. And several of the drugs, so not just conventional synthetic DMARDs that we are asked to use first. There are drugs like um, Otesla, which is not, which has got no effect on the axial skeleton. And then more recently, we are actually looking at this, that certain, certain diseases, uh, rather, sorry, certain uh, medication, which we thought had no effect on the axial skeleton in ankylosing spondylitis, different disease, or axial SPA, axial spondyloarthritis, different disease. Certain biologics that we thought do not work on the axial skeleton in axial spondyloarthritis, interestingly have shown efficacy in axial PSA, axial psoriatic arthritis. So to give you an example, ustekinumab is a drug which blocks uh, IL-12 uh, and IL-23. There is another drug, risankizumab, which blocks purely IL-23. Both these drugs were tried in ankylosing spondylitis, showed a zero effect on the axial skeleton, which was very disappointing. Interestingly, these drugs have shown efficacy in the axial skeleton, and uh, risankizumab hasn't really looked at axial skeleton in psoriatic arthritis, but guselkumab, is an example of a pure IL-23 inhibitor, which has shown improvement in the patient's signs and symptoms of involvement of the axial skeleton. And this is an important consideration that as physicians, we must have when we are looking at a patient uh, with psoriatic arthritis as to which um, domains of the disease are we treating here? What is ailing the patient the most? When the patient comes and says, I got, uh, I got psoriasis and I got arthritis. Doc, I got arthritis. When the patient says, Doc, I got arthritis, what they're saying is, Doctor, I got musculoskeletal pain. And it is our job to see whether it is arthritis, which is by definition involvement of the joint, or it really is involvement of the tendons, insertion and tendonitis and enthesitis and etc. Dactylitis is swollen digit. And also, if we don't ask them, oh, by the way, do you also have backache? They would say, oh, yeah, I also have backache. Yes, good you ask because they are kind of concerned because their knee is swollen and we are concerned because that is the important joint that you can see and you're going to tap it and drain it and inject it. But if you don't ask about their spinal involvement, you will, you're will you going to miss it. And that is an important aspect of psoriatic arthritis and we need to take that into consideration when we treat the patient as a whole. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. We're discussing key highlights from the American College of Rheumatology Conference, the impact of psoriatic arthritis nationally, and implications for both payers and PBMs with Dr. Atul Devdar, Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology Clinics in the Division of Arthritis, 
and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University. For more information, please visit the AMCP podcast series powered by Pomp Health Week at www.amcp.org forward slash podcast. So there's been, as you talked about with these newer biologic agents and others that are coming out of using either step therapy or some sort of a prior authorization approach, but it's obviously based on what you're saying, extremely important that the payer or the health plan or the employer that's offering these understand the, to a better level what the various products do so that they can then allow the physicians to not have to step through all these hoops. Exactly right. And we are currently involved, and when I say we, it's a combined we of rheumatology profession and uh, rheumatology as a community. We are currently involved in developing classification criteria for axial PSA, axial psoriatic arthritis. And using those criteria, we are going to find out what is the prevalence. I told you earlier, 3% of U.S. population has psoriasis. 1% of the U.S. population Psoriatic arthritis, big population health problem. We are now finding out, trying to find out what percentage of patients with, within that 1% have axial involvement, how early it is, and we have this idea, 5% at the early stage, and 70% after 20 years. But we are going to formalize by doing an international study on this. And the second study we are doing is looking at which biologics are actually working on this um, uh, involvement of this of this domain of psoriatic arthritis. As I said, uh, ustekinumab and gosulkumab are a couple of drugs that I mentioned. There are other drugs which were uh, shown in this uh, ACR meeting that we are discussing. Uh, one is uh, uh, secutinumab, uh, uh, which is a drug which blocks IL-17. Ixekizumab, another drug that blocks IL-17A. Uh, both these drugs have been shown to work on the axial skeleton that was not that much of a surprise because these drugs also work in axial SPA or axial spondyloarthritis or ankylosing spondylitis. So they working here was not a big surprise. Uh, but, but yes, it is an important aspect and the payers should understand that the idea of this kind of jump through the hoops um, and uh, putting barriers, it bothers the patient. It's a major barrier for providing good care for the psoriatic arthritis patient. Yeah, I know, um, you know, prior to the show, Dr. Devdar, I looked up uh, and, and read an article, Direct Healthcare Costs and Comorbidity Burden Among Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis in the United States, uh, published by Marola et al. in Clinical Rheumatology. And uh, I think they showed that the annual direct cost for those with uh, psoriatic arthritis was $26,883 uh, versus the, you know, the uh, control group, which didn't have the disease, of 7181 So you're looking at a fairly substantial potential outlay of funds, obviously, to, to treat these individuals. Yeah, and uh, what that article, uh, thank you for mentioning that article. What that article did not mention is the other cost, indirect cost, lost work, presenteeism, absenteeism, etc. We can discuss that that's a topic in itself, how these patients go to work and then their presenteeism is despite being at work, they don't really have full productivity. So those costs that you're talking about is direct costs because of their healthcare related thing, but it costs social participation. It costs um, several things. These people are getting disabled. These people are not able to work. They have to take time off and axial involvement is also important in that part. Absolutely. So let's move to the area of axial spondyloarthritis and uh, what's going on there. Yeah. So axial spondyloarthritis, um, 
so spondyloarthritis uh, this is just for our listeners spondyloarthritis is a family under spondyloarthritis is ankylosing spondylitis psoriatic arthritis is part of that inflammatory bowel disease related arthritis is part of that reactive arthritis is part of that juvenile spondyloarthritis is part of that from population health point of view this family is way bigger than rheumatoid arthritis every member of this family is as important as rheumatoid arthritis rheumatoid arthritis prevalence in this country in the us is 0.6% of the population has rheumatoid arthritis these data come from mayo clinic rochester whereas ankylosing spondylitis and axial spondyloarthritis which is a bigger um, piece of the puzzle which is non radiographic axial spa and ankylosing spondylitis that patients don't really have definitive changes on the sacroiliac joint that itself is 1% psoriatic arthritis is at least 1% reactive arthritis could easily be 1% ibd associated arthritis could be probably 0.5 or 0.4% we're talking about 3 4% of the population having spondyloarthritis one of the diseases under spondyloarthritis in the us huge problem lot of interest in this area axial spa or axial spondyloarthritis includes ankylosing spondylitis and non radiographic axial spa these two conditions the uh, current uh, focus of research has been early aggressive treatment early aggressive treatment has been accepted treat to target is accepted in rheumatoid arthritis we know that if we treat patients with rheumatoid arthritis early and aggressively we improve their quality of life and we improve uh, or we reduce the radiographic progression so that is accepted this concept is somewhat new in this field in this area or in this family of diseases that we call spondyloarthritis and uh, there is uh, something called minimal disease activity mda for psoriatic arthritis and we uh, generally the community of rheumatologists have accepted that our aim of treatment of psoriatic arthritis should be to bring every patient to minimal disease activity now your question is about axial spa axial spa uh, early aggressive treatment is very important and here again uh, the payers uh, i hope they are listening and <clears throat> in axial spa the conventional synthetic demards do not even work so to ask the doctor to try methotrexate and sulfasalazine uh, it, it shouldn't really be done because it it has been shown by multiple trials that these drugs don't work the american college of rheumatology along with the spondylitis association of america and spondyloarthritis research and treatment network or spartan combined have come out with treatment guidelines of 2019 which clearly state that if non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs stop working physical therapy stops working then the next step in the treatment of axial spa is straight biologics there is no intermediate step of conventional synthetic demard so that's point number 1 point number 2 early aggressive treatment in axial spa has three distinct advantages first advantage is that an early aggressive treatment to patients who are in early in their disease and by early in their disease i mean early from their signs and symptoms of development of backache so the shorter symptom duration is the important one that we are talking about if you treat those patients aggressively compared to people who have the disease for 10 years 20 years Uh, and they haven't had a biologic you will find that patients who are treated early and aggressively with biologics have much better bang for the buck 
you are going to get much better we are going to push most of those patients into remission into um, a low disease activity etc and at this acr annual meeting which we actually did a study on intravenous golimumab that's just one example um, but several other drugs have also shown similar um, uh, efficacy but what we showed was if you give the intravenous golimumab uh, iv simply aria to patients with disease duration of 2 years or less symptom duration of 2 years or less these are patients with active spa spondyloarthritis versus active spa in patients who have got disease duration of 20 years patients who have early disease had much better disease control a much better uh, number of patients we pushed into remission low disease activity compared to those similar patients except that they had the disease for 20 years or longer so that is the first advantage of early aggressive treatment you get better bang for your buck better symptomatic improvement second reason to early aggressive treatment is radiographic progression patients with axial spa unfortunately some of them are going to get bamboo spine that is the end stage of ankylosing spondylitis we are trying to avoid that early aggressive treatment with tnf inhibitors and probably also with il17 inhibitors uh, reduce radiographic progression uh, <clears throat> jack inhibitors is the another group of drugs which are coming into this arena they haven't really shown the efficacy on radiographic progression but the field is going in that direction but the important point here is that early aggressive treatment also reduces radiographic progression if you use it early as opposed to late there are trials which show that starting tnf inhibitors later the radiographic progression is higher and they keep on progressing starting it early and suppressing the disease you are able to stop this radiographic progression and the third very interesting thing that we are finding out and there were several um, abstracts and uh, um, presentations at the acr convergence meeting of 2021 is early aggressive treatment you are able to withdraw the treatment when patients come to see us they are they get depressed when we tell them that oh yeah you have got axial spa yeah we can treat this we can we got all these good drugs patient says oh but do i have to take this drug for the rest of my life nobody wants to have a chronic disease nobody wants their doctor to tell them i'm sorry you have this disease you that is going to <clears throat> stay with you for the rest of your life nobody wants to listen to that they want to know whether can i stop this drug and can i still stay in remission what there were several studies what we are finding out is by this study is you aggressively treat patients open label first this, that's the general way these studies are done this is the study design and describing open label treatment with a biologic for the first 6 months and then at the end of 6 months those patients who are in remission you then double blind you put them into placebo or active drug so patient doesn't know afterwards whether they are receiving placebo or they are receiving active drug at 6 months when they are in remission and in general what we are finding is between 30% to 50% of the patients remain in remission without the active drug for another 6 months i mean this is drug free remission this is as close as we come to cure in rheumatology you know we we are we are not calling it cure but this is still i mean this is the these are the early stages of where the research is going we are kind of mimicking our colleagues from oncology uh, a woman gets breast cancer 
gets, you know, radiation therapy, lumpectomy, and then chemotherapy, and then they just get off. I mean, their hands off. And now, oh, you're fine. Go and come back after a year to see me. Uh, the lady comes back and you say, you're still in remission. Go back and come back after a year. Is she cured? Well, we hesitate to use the word cure. When I say we now oncologists hesitate to use the word cure, but the lady is in remission from her breast cancer. And that is a great feeling for the patient. In rheumatology, we don't have cure. We are still calling it remission. We don't know how long this remission is going to last, but early aggressive treatment, this is another advantage and payers should take note of this. In fact, this might be saving them money. Because you treat them early and aggressively and then you withdraw the drug. And the patient stays in remission. I mean, this is, you know, Europe is looking at this. EMA is forcing drug companies to do such withdrawal studies. And that's the interesting aspect of this. Yeah, it's fascinating because what you're saying is uh, that early treatment obviously would improve quality of life, it sounds like. Yes. Better clinical yes. outcomes and the possibility to have this er this period of remission in which you're not having to use the drugs. Yeah, one one uh, yeah, one quick point I wanted to make about the axial SPA is that uh, this condition affects the disease, uh, the patients in their youth. Almost all patients with axial SPA, more than 95% of the people the disease starts before the age of 40, generally in their 20s and 30s. This is a disease of young people where it starts. And that is when it affects them the most. And that is the time when they are going to work. This is their work-life period. So treating them early aggressively improves the presenteeism, absenteeism that we just touched in the psoriatic arthritis discussion earlier we had. If you want to reduce the economic burden of this disease, treating them early and aggressively is very important. Well, fantastic. And thank you so much, uh, Dr. Devdar, for joining us today on the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Atul Devdar, Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of Rheumatology Clinics in the Division of Arthritis and Rheumatic Diseases at Oregon Health and Science University for his time and insights. For more information from the American College of Rheumatologists Convergence 2021 Conference, go to www.acr. 21.amcp.amcpmeetings.org For the AMCP podcast series powered by Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein and Dr. Atil Devdar, this is Greg Masters, encouraging you to follow, like, and subscribe to the series via www.amcp.org forward slash podcast or the podcast platform of your choice. And Pop Health Week streams live on healthcarenowradio.com at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye now.